0: With me today, I have Joe Rust, and I am your host, Jeff Davidson. My brother Kyle will be back on Money Wise next week. If you're listening to our show for the first time, Davidson Capital Management is a fee-based registered investment advisor now in our 32nd year of business with offices in Corpus Christi and San Antonio. If you'd like to learn more about the different investment management programs we offer, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to discuss your personal financial situation and receive a portfolio review and analysis from the Money Wise guys, you can reach our offices in Corpus Christi or San Antonio by calling 800-275-2162. That number again is 800-275-2162. If you have an investment-related question you'd like to, to hear us discuss during the show, you can send us an email at DavidsonCap.com. Well, as we start every weekend's Money Wise program, let's go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. And in the week just past, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was up 336 points, or 1%. The S&P 500 last week was up about 68 points, or 1.5%. And the NASDAQ last week was up about 415 points, or 2.8%. Now, for the year-to-date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is up 15.8%. The S&P 500 year-to-date is up 20.1%. And the NASDAQ year-to-date is up 17.4%. And on Friday, both the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ, I believe, closed at all-time highs. The Dow is very close.
1: Very solid week and a very solid Friday rally. A
0: very solid week, indeed, in the face of rising geopolitical risk. And if I take us back to last week's show when Kyle and I had a, uh, some would call a bull bear debate, though I'm not bearish. Let me just make sure. Our or, listeners or, or, understand. or
1: Davidson Capital Fight Night.
0: That's right. Otherwise, known as Davidson Capital Fight Night. Some of Club. our
1: listeners absolutely love it, by the way. So.
0: Well, well, I got a lot of uh, compliments from Dad. He 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 mostly uh, supported my side of the argument, not <laughs> so much Kyle's. Yes, um but but uh, he 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 said, you know, Jeff, after after y'all had that show, I called Kyle. I was I was out of town in Laredo, a tennis tournament with my uh, with my daughter, and and he called and talked to, was talking to Kyle. I said, you know, Kyle, I want to ask you one question. He said, What's that, Dad? And he said, What under what conditions? would the market have to be for you to be less bullish? And he said, I think the one thing that would cause me to be less bullish is geopolitical risk. But he said it was was more the geopolitical risk that Kyle was describing was a problem with China, but, you know, potentially something serious with North Korea, but, but he, it wasn't really anything about the situation in Afghanistan. Now this week, uh, as we all uh, have heard on the news, you know, there's a you know, terrible terrorist attack uh, outside the airport there in uh, Kabul. And sadly, uh, servicemen and women uh, were killed in that uh, terrorist attack. And there was some reaction from the market. And, the, you know, the market uh, would we, you, know, you would expect the market to react negatively to that. And you know, it certainly uh, generated uh, some heightened concern among clients uh, that uh, something potentially more serious was was in the off could be could be happening uh, very soon. None of us can predict that. Uh, None of us uh, can predict if there's something more serious coming online. But we there's obviously a serious problem that's occurring in Afghanistan right now. The serious problem that's occurring in Afghanistan, does it turn into something more substantial with our other enemies? Um, The market for the moment, as evidenced by what happened on Friday, we basically erased everything that had occurred in terms of the down market on Thursday. And it was up solidly for the week and we're still up solidly for the month, for the quarter, and as we've been talking about on the show for many months, I was the most bullish for the year and it's already exceeded my expectations in terms of the S&P 500 performance. Now we're up more than 5% above where I thought we'd be for the whole year and we still have 4 months, you know, remaining in the year.
1: And I think Jeff has exceeded everybody's expectations on the S&P as far as our firm goes and our prognostications. I think Also, we talk about geopolitical. You look at political, the political side of it, how this is kind of being handled. That could be something in the future that, you know, could be addressed. And I'm not going to I'm going to try to stay as purple as I possibly can. But there are probably some concerns about how the administration is handling it. And what would happen if our president had to be replaced? I mean, I I don't want to think about that. But I I have a feeling there are some clients and maybe some prospects where that could be on their mind, and what would happen after that?
0: Well, geopolitical risk is always present in any market environment. You know, I have often asked uh, of clients that we had discussions where they were really concerned about what was happening in the marketplace at any given time to to such an extent that they were – tempted to make sub- request to make substantial changes to their asset allocation in their portfolio some even wanting to go as far as, as saying i don't want to own any stocks at all and go to you know 100 or, or just have complete cash in the portfolio be that concerned and one of the questions i you know i would ask you know, client is well what under what market condition would you feel comfortable investing in stocks and, and I, by and large, I receive a response that is, well, when things are more clear. Well, the, the, the waters are never clear in the investing ocean. There they are, are always some level of murkiness.
1: This isn't the Caribbean, this is the Gulf of Mexico, as you're saying?
0: That's right. Okay. That's a, a, very, that's a really good analogy. So you, you're always investing in an environment where there is some level of uncertainty. Now, was the level of uncertainty in the market much higher the the day after September 11th than it was the day after August 26, 2021? Well, obviously, yes. It was a much different picture after September 11th. But as you said, Joe, from an investor point of view, uh, there is a question right now about the the, the uh, quality of the politicians in Washington's ability to manage this situation and will this is this situation indicative of how they're going to handle other situations down the line And so far the market doesn't seem to be, Paying any attention to it. That doesn't necessarily mean that they might not pay attention to it in the future. So we're coming up here on the first break. So let's take that break. You're listening to MoneyWise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to MoneyWise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about our firm and review the different investment management programs we offer, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to discuss your personal financial situation and receive a portfolio review and analysis from the MoneyWise guys, you can reach our offices in Corpus Christi or San Antonio by calling 800-275-2162. That number again is 800-275-2162. If you have an investment-related question you'd like to hear us discuss during the show, you can send us an email at moneywise@davidsoncap.com. So in the previous segment, we were talking about the big news story of the week just passed, which was the, uh, attack in Afghanistan on Thursday and how it had affected the markets and talking about, uh, in general, you know, that it's investing in the market. Always. You're always going to be investing in an environment where things are not clear, um, they're always opaque. As, as Joe said, it's like the Gulf of Mexico. It's not the Caribbean. (laughs) You can't (laughs) see the bottom all the time. That's right. And, and so you're always, whenever you're investing money, there's always risk. So there's never, there's never a time. If if you're, if you're the type of vegetable, I don't want to invest until things are clear. You know, I don't want to invest in stocks because a certain political party is in power or a certain individual is president well i, I think that you know, we've this is now our sixth president in 30 30 plus years of managing money that and so what what I, the point that i'm trying to make is is that the economy is larger than one party one individual uh that's in power. And I think politics is, is uh, not something that you should necessarily be the overriding variable in whether you decide to invest money or set an asset allocation in your
1: portfolio. Yes, Joe. Well, and we spent quite a bit of time on this last year going to the election and and playing out different scenarios. And if we had a Democrat president, Democrat House, mm-hmm. Democrat Senate, what would the market look like? And right. I know there are some some clients and even prospects that have a lot of concern. And I don't think anybody even you know would have guessed, "Hey, we're up 20%." But that's why you have to stay with your long-term plan, have a, an asset manager and a plan that's that's can mitigate risk and right. stick with your guns. I mean, right. the, the s and up 20%. 20% and we're a little over halfway through the year. I think everybody would take that and if you are a listener and, you know, you're listening to the show and you pulled a lot of cash and generated cash last year and, and got, ha- took a big chunk out of the market. Right. You know? So, it, it so what here's is, what we so. have. So here's what we have,
0: the, the potential, this is just, you know, we're just speculating here just for discussion sake on this week's program. So we've had a failure from a political point of view at the highest levels of leadership, um that has resulted in you know, has resulted in the loss of life of of american servicemen and women and you know, to date this is going to be the biggest uh, and i'm looking for the right i'm looking for the right word of goodness gracious diplomat uh, if you want to call it a diplomatic error the way that this, is, this has been handled you can call that some people may call it something else and i understand but what what we have to be mindful of is now that we've seen this this error in policy happen, what other errors in policy might there be made? And what other what other errors in policy might cause our enemies to be emboldened to do other things? And if those other things do occur, what's the policy response going to be? And if and if we have a a, a trend starting in this particular, you know, policy error after policy error, Overseas with our enemies, well, that will start to affect confidence here domestically, and that will have an effect on stocks and so you have to be vigilant you know none of us are going to say because of what happened last week is is a reason to go in and and be a hundred percent in cash because who knows what's going to happen next you know well that's not that's not how we're allocated. That's not how that that we're not we're not going we're not even even thinking about doing something like that right now, for the reasons that I discussed last week. There, there, and they're and the discussions continue about potentially reducing our overall asset allocation to stocks by a certain amount. I know if Kyle, here we see, go. Kyle's, see, Kyle's not here today. It's gonna be it's gonna be Davidson Rust fight night in a second. It, you know, it's it's just gonna be – I'm bludgeoning, and Kyle's not gonna have any any chance to to counterpoint. No, uh, it's under discussion. You know, we're all, we're discussing it. Have changed, have things changed a little bit in this in the week just past in terms of, you know, our perception of what's happening politically in, in Washington and what could happen politically down the road. Yes. I think it has taken, a taken a bit of a hit and what happens next yesterday. You had something. We
1: well, I'm, I'm channeling my inner Kyle right now. Okay. But, when we talk about these things and you talk about where we are as a firm, and we, I don't want to go too far into the portfolio, but we always talk about it. Regardless of what the situation is, your number one line of defense in your portfolio is going to be your asset allocation. And it's going to be your individual stock selection, because usually when things happen and and Jeff does a great job of describing how violent corrections can be, you could have a thousand point drop in a day and you can't pull the trigger fast enough to make a trade to get out of a certain asset class or go to cash. So you have to have those first two lines of defenses, if you will, in your portfolio. Then thirdly, that's when you can make the asset allocation changes, generate cash. But, you know, I'm, I'm thinking like Kyle a little bit, and I had this conversation with the client. That's how you got to construct your portfolio. And that's why you have to actually uh, look at the long-term and ha- make sure you have a sound strategy and, and not deviate from that strategy. But go ahead, Jeff. I just was, was thinking about that.
0: So. And so on Friday that we we didn't really talk much about this last week. Well, actually we did. This was the, the week for the annual Jackson Hole Economic Forum. Now, this year was virtual. Uh, I think it was virtual last year also. So we got to have a speech from, from Chairman Powell. There's a lot of attention. Being a lot of paid, Fed speak. A lot of Fed speak. A lot of attention being paid to whatever he was going to have to say on Friday. And he gave he gave a a, a, a little over a half hour speech, uh, at Jackson Hole, and, and the response, by and large, was positive because the markets were up very strongly on on Friday, negating everything that had happened in terms of the negative uh, movement of the market the previous day on Thursday, and so there were some there were some key takeaways from. Uh, his speech. And one of them was, you know, his statement about jobs are recovering, but we still have uh, further to go. Inflation is high, but the, but the Fed is still sticking to their guns that it's transitory meaning temporary. Uh, but I think the, the biggest thing to take away from, the speech was the Federal Reserve's plan to try to to split apart this notion that if we start to taper, which means reduce bond purchases on a monthly basis, that does not mean that we're going to be raising interest rates at the first time. They're trying to split those two occurrences into two separate plans.
1: Hey, decouple them, if you will. Decouple Decoupling. them, if you will. Thank you, yeah, Jim. I like that word. So,
0: so the Chairman Powell said the tapering may start by the end of 2021, but don't expect interest rate hikes anytime soon. What he's trying to do, I think, is he's trying to prevent a repeat of 2018, the fourth quarter of 2018, when we had what we've termed the taper tantrum. So, The Fed is trying to set up the markets to don't fear the taper, which I think is something I used, talked about Don't fear the taper.
1: Don't fear the reaper. I know what you're thinking. But
0: But it appears now you you could almost, with more than probably 75% accuracy, say that the Federal Reserve will be announcing the beginning of tapering by the end of this year and the market should, should have had it you know, well telegraphed to them.
1: Priced but it I'm, in.
0: Priced it in. But I'm, I'm still not in the camp that, that they necessarily have priced it in. Even though we've, they said all this, even when it begins, there are those who say, okay, if it's begun, then that means that interest rate hikes can't be, Further behind, irregardless of the Federal Reserve's attempt to decouple, thank you, Joe, the start of the taper with the start of rising interest rates. Because at the end of the day, as we all know, it isn't just the Federal Reserve that 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 controls where interest rates go. Interest rates, by and large, are, are controlled by the marketplace. And it's going to be investors in those securities that's going to determine. The velocity of how fast interest rates go higher. And I see we're coming up on the bottom of the hour break. So we're going to take that break and we'll continue this when we come back. You're listening to MoneyWise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after the bottom of the hour news. Welcome back. You're listening to MoneyWise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about our firm and review the different investment management programs we offer, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to discuss your personal financial situation and receive a portfolio review and analysis from the MoneyWise guys, you can reach our offices in Corpus Christi or San Antonio by calling 800-275-2162. That number once again is 800-275-2162. If you have an investment-related question you'd like to hear us discuss during the show, you can send us an email at moneywise@davidsoncap.com. So at the end of the second uh, second segment of this weekend's show, I was talking about uh, the decoupling of the beginning of the Fed's taper from expectations of the Fed raising interest rates. And the point that I was making there at the end of the last segment was the Federal Reserve, to some extent, has some influence over interest rates through the changes that it can make. Through the federal funds rate, but every other rate beyond the federal funds rate is set by the marketplace, is set based on supply and demand. Um, And so none of us with any great certainty know what the velocity of the the rise in interest rates will take. Because the Federal Reserve, by tapering their purchases – has the effect of raising interest rates because there's less the way that the work is it will kind of do a quick education on bonds if there's more people wanting to buy a bond that bids up the price of that bond and therefore lowers its yield to maturity therefore lowering lowering the uh, compensation an investor would receive for investing in that security over the life of that security well if the federal reserve removes its demand From buying those securities, and there isn't equal demand coming in from outside sources, that means the supply of those bonds would necessarily go up. And in order to move those bonds with a higher supply, you have to lower the price, and if you lower the price, that raises the yield, therefore raising interest rates.
1: So what Jeff's getting at real quickly is fixed income will look more attractive than the equity market because it's going to be, you know – well, really and, look,
0: and look, looking more attractive is a relative. It, it's going to take a very substantial rise in interest rates for fixed income, as an as an asset class, to look really attractive to investors. And so, the first thing question I would get from a client is, well, then why am I invested in fixed income at all, if <laughs> if, that. If, if those rates are so unattractive? And the response is, well, I don't know if. God forbid, the next terrorist attack isn't on this soil, the United States, and doesn't involve a lot of people. And I don't know, there are so many other unknowns out there. The Delta variant that we're suffering through right now, Corpus Christi has record infections, record numbers of people in the hospital in Corpus Christi. And we're Think of how many months we are into COVID. We're a year and a half into COVID and we've got record infections in my city. I don't know how it is in San Antonio, Joe, but uh, it's, hot. You know, it's we, we have we have a, we, we don't think that this is this is going to lead to mass economic shutdowns like we had last year. I still believe that's not going to happen, but there are certainly adjustments being made in various businesses all over the country for what's happening with the Delta variant. It's not showing up in economic numbers. The economic numbers are still strong. Um, I've got a whole desk here full of economic statistics from the week just past. And by and large, they're all positive. GDP up six point. They raised the GDP estimate for the second quarter uh, to up 6.6%. When was the last time GDP was that high, Joe? I actually don't know. I'll tell you is when is when I, I graduated I you grew know. I graduated from high school 1984
1: I was 14 years old so I don't exactly remember that Mhm so,
0: 1984 Wow So the economic numbers you know great but there are there are certainly uh certainly risks still in the market. The, the, the waters are opaque. They're always going to be opaque. And what does that mean? That means you always have to have bonds in your portfolio, even if investing in those securities is very, uh, it's very difficult to take in terms of a return because the returns are so meager, well, but, but it's, it's a foundation. It's the foundation on which we build the rest of the portfolio. Yes, Joe.
1: Well Jeff, you bring up a good point. if you look at a portfolio, usually there's going to be something that's down all right sometimes if you don't have something that's down a little bit, that could be a sign that you don't have really that diversified of, of a portfolio and and you know I was having a conversation with somebody earlier this week, and you know they mentioned you know that perhaps we have a short term bond fund that's down a little bit but i I also have to remember and have to remind the clients and also you know our listeners. Jeff, the exact situation you talked about, it's a buffer. We buy bonds for safety and income. If the market's going to drop all of a sudden, we have to have a certain level of protection in there, which bonds typically provide. The problem is they're not getting you we're know, not, the interest we're getting, that, we, that we need. We're, so getting, we're getting nothing for that buffer. Yeah, and, and I also pointed out to this particular client, I said, look, what you don't see is 5% of that particular portfolio we have in dividend paying stocks. It's in this case, a dividend paying ETF." Where I looked at the overall return on this particular ETF since we bought it, it was up over five percent and paying a three percent dividend yield. So, that's the difference between active and passive management. Is what can you do outside uh, of constructing an ordinary portfolio that's going to make a difference? But,
0: yeah, and you know, and you bring up a point with this this these dividend paying stocks. You know, there's we've been kicking around the idea of maybe not necessarily reducing our overall asset allocation to stocks but instead reallocating those asset th- those assets from the higher risk names they call we call that in the business the higher beta names but let's just say the stocks with the Peace higher happens. higher price to earnings ratios which are typically typically the stocks involved in the technology industry that are younger companies, that are much faster-growing companies, but either pay no dividend or very little dividend. There's been some discussion. But they've been powering these gains. You know, if da- Dad was on the show today, he'd be telling us about the technical picture out there, which is still not that great in terms of advanced declines. And there's still a concentration of gains in the, in the market that are concentrated in a smaller n- number of stocks. And so if you look, you know, if you look at things just on the surface, we got record highs in the S&P 500, record closing highs in the S&P and the Nasdaq on Friday and almost on the Dow, but it's being powered by a narrower list of stocks. Now, we have some of those stocks in our portfolio. They're, they're higher beta names as we said, the higher risk, they're higher PE names. You know, when does that when does that investment stop? When do investors stop putting money into those names and start to seek other names with maybe not necessarily the high PE ratios, but they start to maybe maybe focus more on the income side of the equation. That's our that's the barbell that we have in our portfolio right now. I'm not you know, the discussion is does the barbell start to instead instead of being more weighted onto the higher beta side of the barbell, it's going to make, does it start to move to more higher weight on the dividend paying stock side of the barbell and less on the higher growth names? And that's a discussion that we're having ongoing right now, rather than doing a wholesale. Okay. We're going to go to 60% stock investments in a moderate asset allocation portfolio, which is about 5% below where we are today. Or, we just reallocate that 5% from high beta names, higher risk profiles, higher pe stocks to stocks that are paying higher dividends. Cuz like you said that 3%, where can i get 3%? 3% Nowhere. In in a, in a investment grade fixed income instrument get a 3% yield. I don't I'm not sure you can get that in a 30 year treasury right now. You probably could get it in a 30 year corporate, but who's going to put money in a, in a corporate bond for 30 years? We don't do that. That's not what we do here at Davidson Capital because you're opening yourself up to a lot of risk in terms of interest rate changes, owning long maturity bonds.
1: Well, and personally, I like where we are in the portfolio. I like the barbell approach right now. Um, and all, every one of us brings a, a different point of view on what we should be buying, what we should. And, and, and I have to rem- remind myself, there's no playbook for a pandemic. This playbook is still being written right now. And a lot of the, the, the inflation that we're seeing it was obviously caused by the pandemic. I mean, but you are seeing some trends when some of the costs of certain goods are coming down. And that would be maybe another segment. But you're talking about lumber cost. We're looking at Peloton, and Jeff and I are talking about Peloton this week, that the Peloton bikes are coming down a little bit. Maybe I'll go buy one finally. But...
0: Uh, <laughs> well, I think I was talking... I don't know if it was you or Kyle was, when we were talking about lumber earlier this week. It, to me, it looks like market manipulation for the yeah. thing to, for it to go from 800 Basically double during the year and now be cut by more than half. I mean, what what's up with that? I mean, it, it just it reeks of it, market manipulation, it, in my opinion. It drives some of our builder buddies
1: and some of the lumber. Yeah, how'd you like? <laughs> so. How'd you
0: like to be in the in the building business where one of your most important inputs material uh, from a material point of view is being, ma- you know, I'm gonna just say it. Manipulate. It's my opinion. It's an opinion show being manipulated like it was this has been this year. Or, or think of all the people that that had to pay thousands and thousands of dollars or more for their house because the lumber prices at the time that they were building it were manipulated up to those you know those high numbers. You know, so with that, we're coming up to our. Uh, next four segments. So we'll, we'll take a break here and come back here in a moment. You're listening to Moneywise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Moneywise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about our firm and review the different investment management programs we offer, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to discuss your personal financial situation and receive a portfolio review and analysis from your MoneyWise Wise guys, you can reach our offices in Corpus Christi or San Antonio by calling 800-275-2162. That number, once again, is 800-275-2162. If you have an investment-related question you'd like to hear us discuss during the show, you can send us an email at moneywise@davidsoncap.com. So shifting gears into a little investor education in the uh, last segment of the first hour of this this weekend's Money Wise program, we have a, four, a 401k topic that you uh, wanted to discuss, Joe. So let's talk about that.
1: Sure. And since every once in a while I do get to eat, and I know our listeners have heard me talk about brisket, and my brisket is exquisite, by the way. <laughs> so on that, on that note, um, one of the things that we do here at Davidson Capital Management, we do handle retirement plans. So we help participants with enrollment. We help them with making sure they're in the right investments. Um, talking about uh, traditional contributions, Roth contributions. But one of the things that happened relatively recently, and I can actually say Congress tried to do something constructive, by the way. Imagine that. Congress actually, the House and the Senate, seeing eye to eye on something and trying to get something accomplished. Well, one of the proposals that they have on the table is increasing the catch-up provision in a 401k plan. So if you're over 50 right now, you could put an extra $6,500 into your 401k. And the House and the Senate have slightly different versions of what they're trying to do. And part of this is, well, look at what's going on with Social Security. I mean, I think everybody can understands that unless some massive changes happen to Social Security, some of the benefits are going to be cut a little bit. So what they're seeing is the, a couple of things. Number one, and I, and I mentioned this to Jeff earlier and uh, before we uh, got on the air, the average 401k balance is about $197,000 for people that are uh, from 54 to 65, I believe. The median is 69000 So they see this as a problem. And what they're uh, proposing on the catch-up provision, and this I'll just give you real quickly what the House version is, to take that $6,500 and bump it up to $10,000 for anyone that's 62, 63, or 64. The Senate proposal is a little bit more generous. And they're saying, let's take this catch-up provision to 10000 Now, they're not increasing it $10,000. they are just increasing it to 10000 for anybody over 60. And I think that's actually a positive thing that – the, that Congress is actually trying to figure out how we're going to solve this Social Security uh, puzzle, if you will, and give people that are closer to retirement the ability to put more money away. And we talk about it a lot on the show. I talk a lot about a, a lot of uh, a, lot, a lot about tax deferral, Roth, traditional to clients, to business owners, and making sure they understand their 401k is really kind of a multi-purpose vehicle. If you will, I kind of call it a switch army knife. You can control your taxes in a 401k. And Jeff, we talk about it all the time. You know what, if somebody has a taxable account to take money out of or a tax deferred account, what do we always tell them to take the money out of first? Usually it's going to be the one that's
0: most tax efficient. And typically that's going to be the taxable account first before hitting the tax deferred account.
1: Correct. And the same thing, if you have a 401k and you have Roth, a bucket of Roth money and a bucket of traditional money. It's very advantageous to have a big chunk of money in there that you could pull out and not pay taxes on it, which would be your Roth. So, you know, just one of the things that that we like to emphasize is making sure you're maximizing your contributions in your 401k. If you can, making sure if you're over 50, take into consideration the catch up provision. And I even think for some individuals that are a little bit older, Keep looking at the Roth because I love the idea and I have a really, really, really really bad fishing problem. And if anybody's ever owned a boat and you got to pull out 50 grand to buy a boat or you have boat repairs, I mean, just buying a brand new boat when you retire could actually knock you into a higher tax bracket. You may not think about that, but it could. So make sure you're properly you're looking at your 401k and, and, and the right mindset and asking the right questions. And when you, when you use your 401k at retirement, just remember it's a great tax vehicle. It's kind of like a Swiss Army knife. There's a lot of different ways to get your money out um, and control your taxes. So, Well, I think that if the government is trying
0: to incentivize individuals to save more for their retirement, there's, there's so many folks out there that are working uh, that don't work for a, corpor- a company that offers a 401k or offers a, a SEP, Simplified Employee Pension. And the contribution lo- rates for a traditional IRA are are a fraction of what you can get inside of a 401k or or a SEP, a Simplified Employee Pension. Why, you know, a- after all these years, have they just continued to have these IRA contribution limits set so much lower than what you can put in other, Uh, tax-deferred retirement vehicles. And the only thing I can think of, Joe, is this is the lobby, that that the 401k lobby likes it that way. And I I remember seeing this statistic. I was reading a a prospective client social security uh, estimate. And it said on there that by the year 2035, only the estimate is right now, by the year 2035, only 78% of the social security benefits will be covered by the social security contributions from people working. That's correct. So there's a shortfall there. And how is that shortfall going to be managed is means the following. There's higher social security taxes coming for both employees and employers because employers match the employees contributions up to a certain amount. That's a given. The other is, Cutting benefits—that's the other way they're going to have to manage it. Well, what we ought to be doing right now is incentivizing saving right now across the entire spectrum of retirement accounts, not just four hundred one k's, not just SEP IRAs, but also in traditional IRAs and and Roths—and allow them to have the kind of contribution limits that are enjoyed by everyone that has money in 401k but for the last 16 years that suggestion joe has fallen on <laughs> no. it,
1: has,
0: it has not changed
1: anyways it's just an interesting point and it's it's good that at least congress is trying to solve some problems so
0: so geopolitical risk is definitely risen and it's and it's and it should be Everyone should be paying attention to what happens from a geopolitical point of view in the weeks to come. We are considering making changes to our portfolio, whether it's a wholesale reduction in asset allocation to stocks or it's a reallocation of our barbell from the higher risk stocks to more dividend-paying stocks. All those things are on the table. But, you know, for, for our listeners, maintain vigilance, don't panic, and keep listening to MoneyWise. With Davidson Capital Management here on Saturdays. And so with that, we're coming to the top of the first hour break so if you'd like to discuss your personal financial situation and receive a portfolio review review and analysis from the money wise guys you can reach our office in corpus christi or san antonio by calling 800-275-2162 for our listeners in san antonio on 1200 woai we like to thank you for listening to our weekend this weekend's money wise program and if you'd like to hear the second hour of this weekend's show you can go to our website at Clack. DavidsonCap.com and click on the radio show link. But for our listeners in the Corpus Christi market on 1360 KKTX, stay tuned for the second hour of MoneyWise here after the top of the hour break where we will continue this weekend's program with some investor education. You're listening to MoneyWise with Davidson Capital Management. All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of
2: future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. I've got my father, John. I'm your host, Kyle Davidson, and we are diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. Now, if you'd like to learn more about us here at Davidson Capital Management, you can go to our website at DavidsonCap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the Money Wise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. Now, if you missed the first hour of this weekend's Money Wise program, you can go to our website at davidsoncapp.com. Click on the radio show link where you can listen to today's show as well as past MoneyWise shows. And you can also subscribe to our iTunes feed by clicking on the blue note in the upper right-hand corner of our homepage. So in our second hour of this weekend's program, again, like to use the second hour to go into investor education. And the topic for this second hour is really a topic that needs to be on, an, on a rotation each and every month because it is such a critical topic for investors all across the country to learn, understand, and realize when it comes to the point of them selecting an investment professional to work with. And what they need to be looking for and how they can research and find out the background and education levels and licensing levels of the investment professional that they're planning on working with. Now, a topic that we have discussed on past Money Wise programs, and I feel like we've been talking about this for years. I think from the beginning of the show. Well, I know that we've talked about this particular subject, again, the differences between a broker, a stockbroker, and a registered investment advisor. But in particular... The The research and analysis that the Securities and Exchange Commission is doing when it comes down to the fiduciary standard, uh, and later on in this hour, I'm going to go into the definition of the fiduciary standard and what stockbrokers, what laws and directions they have to follow working with their clients and what... What laws and rules and regulations that registered investment advisors like us here at Davidson Capital Management have to follow, and in particular revolving around this fiduciary standard, because this has been a topic that has been discussed at length, really post financial crisis, um, and the Dodd Frank Act, which took effect in 2010, put in uh, an actual an actual law that goes into the ability of the Securities and Exchange Commission to create a uniform fiduciary standard, which has yet to actually take place uh, across the financial service industry. And an article that came out of the Wall Street Journal this past week, uh, titled, SEC Head Backs Fiduciary Standards for Brokers and Advisors, again goes into Mary Jo White, who's the head of the Securities and Exchange Commission, you know, really wanting tighter standards uh, for financial advisors who recommend stocks, bonds, and mutual funds to individual investors. And for any longtime listener to this program, they understand that your traditional stockbroker is on the financial sales side of the financial service industry where registered investment advisors like us at Davidson Capital Management are on the asset management side of the industry.
3: Well, let me say something right here, Kyle. The word advisor, I think, confuses the man in the street in the old days when I was a broker we were either a broker or a registered representative advisors financial advisors or investment advisors by definition were registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission what has happened is the word registered representative or broker has been dropped by Wall Street and they have picked up various terms which they really like to use whether it's a wealth manager or a they like financial to use advisor, financial advisor, but they obviously don't say registered financial advisor because they wouldn't be working for a brokerage firm or very registered few. investment advisor. So, so, so you the word advisor confuses the investor in the street. It, it It does and again i don 't i mean I, I would hate to say
2: that this is just strictly marketing, but it really comes down to marketing. marketing it It does come down to marketing and it 's to convey the idea to a potential to a prospective client that the powers and abilities of that investment professional are above and beyond what they actually legally can do or what they normally do do with, you know, when it comes to working with their clients. And, you know, last month the Labor Department is planning its own set of rules to tighten standards on financial professionals who advise on retirement account investments such as 401Ks. And, of course, bra- and President yes, Obama president came. Yes, President Obama
3: has endorsed these, these. We haven't had a president get involved. and 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 so he came out several months back talking about, wanting to have
2: these new standards and, and, you know, really the Department of Labor is going and saying, well, hey, we're putting in these new standards, Securities and Exchange Commission, why don't you put these standards in as well? And Mary Jo White, the head of the SEC, makes it very clear that, you know, we're two different regulatory agencies and that we have our own processes and procedures that we have to go through in order to put this into place, but that she had had stated that she has been intensely studying this fiduciary standard regulations and what exactly the Securities and Exchange Commission is going to do. Now, the fact that she's been intensely studying this for just the last few months, I feel like we've been talking about this for years. So why is it just being intensely studied over just the last couple of months.
3: Well, maybe before we put our listeners totally to sleep using these fiduciary words and whatnot, why not give an example of why this should be something our listeners should be listening to? Well, I'm going to have to get to that example after we come back from the commercial break because the the, the story the
2: no you didn't check the clock. The the, the 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 real world example I'm going to give and, and it really could apply to some of our you know, a lot of our listeners that are listening right now of what you might run into when it comes to that point in time where you're ready to hop on that horse and ride off into the retirement sunset and you start going out and interviewing investment professionals that you might be planning or, or looking to work with. And as we've always advocated on this show, Don't get caught behind the eight ball when it comes time to prepare and plan for your retirement as far as the investment professional that you're going to work with. You need to start the interview process six to eight months out, even 12 months out, just so you get all of your ducks in a row because the last thing we would want to see happen, and we've seen this time and time again talking and working with prospective clients coming into Davidson Capital Management, is that they waited to the last minute. They got thrown a sales pitch at them. That sounded so good to be true, too good to be true, but they signed on that dotted line and wound up getting involved in something that they wound up later regretting because they didn't do their proper due diligence and uh, doing the research. It, it's research that's required before you hire an investment professional. So when we come back from the commercial break, I'll give you an example of going into the differences between suitability and fiduciary standard, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to MoneyWise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to MoneyWise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the Money Wise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at com. So continuing our investor education, um, and again, I, I know we were talking during commercial break that some of this subject matter might be seen dry and boring, but this hour is so critical for any investor to listen and to learn from to protect themselves, to protect the retirement nest egg that they have worked 30, 35, 40, 45 years to build to not get taken by potentially unscrupulous investment professionals that are looking to make a very large and quick buck and big commission and to understand the rules and regulations that folks follow in the financial service industry and how they vary so greatly between that of your traditional stockbroker versus a registered investment advisor like we are here at Davidson Capital Management. So I wanted to give you a real-world example and this comes from one of our clients this real-world example, Um, several years ago we had met, I mean, mean, we're talking six, seven years ago, met with a prospective client who was going to be retiring and had, excuse me, had already retired, had purchased an annuity, very sizable annuity, and the annuity was getting ready to be outside of its surrender penalty period, and they were looking to do something else with it. So they met with us, gave them, you know, the whole whole spiel, uh, the whole presentation as we do with any prospective client after we did a a portfolio review and analysis for this prospective client. And I remember distinctly remembering in the meeting I, I told him, whatever you do, whether you hire us or you hire somebody else, do not buy another annuity. And he said, gotcha, got it, understand. So this prospective client, goes, leaves our office, follow up with them, don't hear back from them. About 16 months later, we get a phone call, and it was this prospective client, and he said, I need to come in and talk to you. Okay, comes in. Before I even round my desk, he says, you're probably wondering why I'm here. I'm like, sure. Why are you here? He said, well, I should have listened to your advice, and I didn't. I'm like, well, what do you mean? He said, well, look, and he hands me his paperwork and what he had bought was another annuity, a variable annuity. And I asked him why. You know, give me the background as to what you did. He said, I called two stockbrokers in New York City. I called two stockbrokers in the state of Florida. I called a stockbroker in San Antonio, Texas. And all five of these stockbrokers all recommended an annuity to me. And he said after talking to all five of these different brokers and different offices and different firms and different states, he thought to himself, well, if all five of these brokers are recommending annuity, then this is the direction that I need to go. This is what I should be buying because these five folks don't know each other from Adam, and they don't even work for the same firms, but that's what they're recommending. And, of course, when I relayed to the prospective client, who then became a client, that the reason why they were recommending it is because it pays the highest commission on Wall Street. And explained to him round about the six-figure commission that was paid to these brokers, I just about saw his jaw hit the floor.
3: Well, he wanted a guaranteed stream of income. That is what he wanted. It was important to him to have a monthly check. So when he went to these brokers and said, I want a guaranteed stream of income that I know it's coming in, well, the brokers basically have two choices, both of which are suitable for him. Choice number one is an annuity. Whichever insurance company that brokerage firm uses, they will select that annuity, that annuity will pay the most generous commission there is for a broker on Wall Street today, as far as we know. The other choice to provide guaranteed income is a government bond. In fact, it's the only investment, not the annuity, that can truly say, say it provides a guaranteed stream of income. The only difference being the income can vary because government bond rates will vary with maturities. For the broker, however, the commission on the same portfolio is about 98 99% less than what he would be getting personally in the annuity. That is why five different brokers from five different firms in four different states all had the same example. They were both suitable investments and the broker only has to do what is suitable.
2: And that is the whole point of this second hour is to relay real-world examples of the difference between suitability and fiduciary. And just to kind of go into that, you know, what is a fiduciary? A fiduciary is someone that manages money for the benefit of, of another called a beneficiary. A fiduciary is bound by law to place the interest of its beneficiary first before the fiduciary's own interest. Now, stockbrokers, also called registered representatives, account executives, financial advisors, uh, wealth managers, are not fiduciaries, even though they have engaged in high-visibility advertising to portray themselves as full-service investment advisors. It's real easy. Ask your stockbroker. If he or she holds a Series 7 securities license, if he or she does, then it's it's probable that they aren't a fiduciary. And you have to understand, a registered investment advisor like we are here at Davidson Capital Management are subject to the Investment Advisor Act of 1940, which makes us a fiduciary. Okay? And... It's so so important. I mean, we cannot stress well, this enough. In that example, to understand the difference in the
3: same example, a choice for us between an annuity and a portfolio of government bonds, as a fiduciary, we have to go with the government bonds because that is what is best for the client, not what is suitable what is best as a fiduciary. And a non-fiduciary
2: stockbroker follows only the suitability standard, which doesn't require a stockbroker to place the interest of their client ahead of their own. Under the non-fiduciary suitability standard, a stockbroker need provide only suitable advice to to their clients, even if the stockbroker knows that the advice is not in the client's best interest. A non-fiduciary stockbroker, you know, bottom line, they have a fiduciary duty to their broker-dealer, to who employs them. That is who they have a fiduciary duty to, not their client. And it blo- I, I can tell you, Dad, when I sit down with prospective clients and I tell them that financial salespeople, stockbrokers, are not required by law to put their interest in front of their own, it blows their mind. But what's, a, what's unfortunate is that individual investors don't understand that there is a difference between what registered investment advisors do, what we do here, versus
3: what a broker does. It was the manager at Bayesian Company that I worked for as a manager that led me to become a registered investment advisor. That you worked as a broker for. Yes, I worked as a broker for them. One day I was analyzing the bond market. I was sitting at my desk looking at this chart, that chart, and he came up to me and said, John, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm trying to figure out what the long bond's doing. And he said, we don't pay you to be an analyst. We pay you to sell securities. We're not in the business of analyzing markets, managing money. We're in the business of selling securities. The light went on in my head, and from that day forward, I chose the path of becoming a registered investment advisor. And it all went back to the manager at a brokerage firm and a young broker trying to understand and help his clients. And a registered investment advisor must follow the
2: trust standard, and it's the highest known in law, which requires an RIA, a registered investment advisor, to place the interest of their client ahead of their own to fulfill the critical fiduciary duties of trust and confidence. So again, that's the trust standard versus the suitability standard. And this is why when you go to the big name brand broker-dealers, I mean, you can list them off. There's commercials all over the place, all over television, radio, the computer for for these firms. You know, you have to understand they're in the job of asset collection, asset harvesting to sell investment products. And it's also important when we come back from the bottom of the hour break to to go into a lot of the proprietary relationships that are in place with your traditional broker-dealers and mutual fund families and other investment product providers to understand and really, I think what also led a lot of investors to, to have received advice during the financial crisis of staying the course and why that advice came so much so from your traditional broker-dealer or stock brokerage-type firms. And so we'll get into that when we come back from the, from the commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after these words. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at DavidsonCap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at nine zero six zero zero seven zero, or toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at DavidsonCap.com. So continuing discussing that critical difference between your traditional stockbroker and a registered investment advisor, um, I wanted to talk briefly about the proprietary relationships that brokerage firms have. Now, prior to joining Davidson Capital Management, I spent a few years uh, as a mutual fund wholesaler where... My clients, as a mutual fund wholesaler, were stockbrokers. I sold my company's loaded mutual funds to brokers in the state of Texas because that was part of my territory in the state of Texas. And it's important for investors to understand of these relationships that mutual fund families have with brokerage firms. In um, every single mutual fund family, you're going to have a mutual fund family that has some great mutual funds some decent average mutual funds, and some not-so-good mutual funds. Dogs. Dogs. Poor-performing mutual funds. But a lot of these brokerage offices have very limited shelf space of the mutual fund families that they want really prominently displayed in the office. And sometimes in order to get shelf space, there are marketing fees that are paid and things of that nature. Now again, this was in the late nineties early two thousands when I did the you know when I was a mutual fund wholesaler um, It's important to understand that. A mutual fund wholesaler's job is to gain a relationship with a broker and to educate them about the mutual funds that are being made available by the fund family and sell them on why they need to be selling these funds to the clients. But it's also important for clients to understand that some mutual fund families have revenue sharing agreements with brokerage firms where the brokerage firm collects a portion of the management fee being charged by the mutual fund family for those clients' assets to be in there. And really the point I'm working towards is getting back to the financial crisis. Because when we're meeting with prospective clients after the financial crisis, we always, when we do our portfolio reviews and analysis, I always ask, well, what was the advice and guidance that you were receiving from your investment professional, from your broker during the financial crisis? 10 out of ten times the advice was stay the course and they were the prospective client would question me you know why was the advice stay the course why wasn't it like let's get a little more liquid let's let's get some money on the sidelines let's get some cash on hand and I really and again and in, in, in my 17 years of experience what my mind leads back to is revenue sharing agreements that brokerage firms have with mutual fund families and other financial product providers that if assets are not in these mutual funds, then there's no revenue to share because there's no management fee being generated by the mutual fund family. So if advice coming from brokers to their clients was let's sell, let's get more liquid, then these brokerage firms could be slicing their own throat and the revenues that they're that that are being driven that they're being driven off of these mutual fund holdings by their clients at these brokerage firms so it would have seriously cut into their bottom line if it was let's get out let's get liquid because now there's no revenue coming from these outside mutual fund families and it's important for investors to understand and i can tell you that when we do portfolio reviews and analysis and particularly there's certain brokerage firms that have affinity, that have a love for very particular mutual fund families.
3: Well you can basically name a firm and we will name without even, look, without even looking at the portfolio, not even seeing the portfolio, we could bet the potential client you own one of these funds. From a particular fund family. And just because we've been doing
2: this, you know, in our 26th year of business, and we've reviewed quite a few portfolios in those 26 years, we see a pattern. We see a trend. And because of my inside intimate knowledge of the relationships that mutual fund families have with brokerage firms, it's no surprise. Now, listeners are probably, you know, y'all are probably hearing this on the radio thinking, well, gosh, how could brokerage firms do this? It's suitable.
3: It's suitable. It's suitable. It's suitable. They're not violating any rules. They're not
2: violating any laws. That is the whole point of this second hour is so you understand. There's a great commercial on right now. I love this commercial because it really sums up what we're talking about. And it's these two gentlemen, and he's giving the guidance to the prospective client, and he hands them this giant grain of salt. (laughs) (laughs) And he hands it to him and he says, you know, we're going to be in this fund, this fund, this fund. And he says, oh, by the way, I get paid a higher commission and higher trailing fees on this because of our proprietary relationship, you know, with these with these funds. And he said, well, you know, shouldn't that be illegal? And he's kind of like. Yeah, I well no. no not really. I mean he kinda <laughs> has a look like, well, I guess you got a point, but no, it's not illegal, but I'm gonna be making higher higher fees off this proprietary relationship that we have with these fund families and I love that commercial. It's just started playing, so I'm sure our listeners have seen this commercial. Pay attention to it because that is what we are talking about.
3: Well, you know, there's another commercial that the financial consultants are doing in which they hired a DJ in Dallas. And they cleaned him up, got rid of his dreadlocks. He's really a nice-looking guy. Well, no,
2: that's talking about financial planners, and I have a whole other bone to pick about financial planners. Yes, but which I'll get to. But,
3: but within this, he looks the part. They put him in a he nice sounds office. The part. They put him in a nice office. You know, glass, uh, everything you would want. He's got the columns. He's got the suit. He's smooth talking. We, and, and he asked him, would you give me the account? Well, sure we would. And he said, would you like to know what my experience is? And, and I'm a my, DJ. You know, I'm a DJ. And he shows pictures of him, you know, dancing around.
2: So, uh, you know, again, but I think that also comes back to another article, which we're not going to talk about on this weekend show, about... Just the number of don't don't let the number of accolades and awards received by a financial (laughs) professional dazzle you think making you think that they have a higher level of expertise or experience and experience than they actually do, because, again, it's all marketing. Um, But, you know, I will I do want to talk about uh, financial planners before we go to the next break, because this is something we've also talked about on the show and. Financial planning has has really become a, a really booming industry. And there are designations, a certified financial planner, which is a very difficult designation to get. You have to go through a lot of education, a lot of test-taking. It is not easy to do. Plus, you have to have industry experience to get the CFP designation. And we're not taking away from that because it's a very prestigious designation. It is. But you have to be very very careful how this potential financial how this financial planner is getting compensated because we have seen situations where financial planners are using this financial planning designation as another marketing tool as a way to sell investment products, as a way to generate commissions. So you have to ask, as the prospective client, how are you getting compensated? Are you fee-only? Are you fee-based financial planner? Or are you selling investment products where you're earning a commission and you need to ask those questions and if they're not giving you a straight answer, that is when you slowly get up from the table and you walk away. You as a prospective client have the right to ask a straight straight up question and get a straight up answer. Ask them, do you have your Series 7? If they have a Series 7, pretty good chance they're compensated on commissions. And that's when with the whole situation with suitability versus the fiduciary standard, if they say, well, I have my 65, which is to be a, uh, a registered investment advisor representative, without a Series 7 or a Series 6, then they be leaning more on the side of fee only. And, of course, at Davidson Capital Management, we are completely fee only, registered investment advisors which puts us on the same side of the table as our clients because the more money we make for our clients the more money we make for ourselves and vice versa we are not compensated based on commission and being a registered investment advisor means that we are fiduciaries we have to follow the trust standard required by law to put our clients interest in front of our own but You have to understand these differences when you sit down with a financial professional to understand who you're potentially getting involved in and don't let a lot of letters after their name on the card dazzle you into thinking that they have a level of expertise and knowledge that they may or may not have. You have to vet them out yourself. You have to dig deeper. As I have said, going back to 2005 on this radio show, and you know what we've also talked about on the show is the way that you can look up your investment professional that you're thinking of working with or her or who you are currently working with simply by going to Google typing in the Google search broker check and that will take you to the Finra website and Finra is the regulatory body overseeing the really the financial sales arm of the financial service industry. You type in your broker's name and it will go to their report. Now the one thing to keep in mind, and I've seen this, is that we've seen brokers starting to use middle names or different first names to try to get around potential bad reports. I've noticed this, that they make these name changes so you can't track them down as easily. But You still have that tool available as a prospective client to go in and do research on that investment professional to find out if they have any regulatory issues, any customer complaints, what those complaints are involved, to see if they have any personal bankruptcy or personal financial issues, or if they've had any criminal misdemeanor or felony charges in their lifetime. So utilize the tools that are available. Well, we've got to take our last commercial break. You're listening to MoneyWise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070. Or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two, and if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap dot com. So before we went to commercial break, again spending the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program, talking about again the critical differences between a stockbroker and a registered investment advisor, and 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 also at the beginning of the hour talking about. Uh, The SEC is still in the process of studying to find out whether they're going to hold traditional stockbrokers to the same fiduciary standard as we are held to as a registered investment advisor here at Davidson Capital Management. And I have a feeling this is going to be an ongoing saga that's never going to reach a conclusion um, because, again, I think that this would put a serious uh, dampening on revenues at traditional broker-dealer firms across this country. So I'm definitely not holding my breath. The fact that this that this provision or, or the discussion of adding this provision has been around since <laughs> the Dodd-Frank Act of 2010 and we're now in 2015 – and the head of the SEC, Mary Jo White, has only been intensely studying it for the last few months. I'm not holding my breath that no, anything is going it's to get not done. Going to so what you have to do as an investor, you have to arm yourself with knowledge. That's one reason why we have the Money Wise program and why we're in our tenth year of doing it. But you have to utilize the tools that are available to you. You have to be an educated consumer. And before you sign on that line as dotted, you have to utilize all the the research capabilities that are available on the Internet. And as we went to the last commercial break, talking about utilizing the FINRA website, which is the regulatory body of broker-dealers, of stockbrokers – and doing what's called a broker check by googling broker check takes you right to the website, you type in your broker's name and you pull up their permanent record. I always jokingly say you know in <laughs> high school yeah, in, in, in of high office. school you've got your permanent record. Well in the financial service industry, whether you're a registered investment advisor like we are or if you're a, or if you're a stockbroker, we all have a permanent record called our U4. And it tracks you throughout your entire career. So if you've had run-ins with client complaints, customer complaints, and what those complaints are, to see that if you've actually gotten sued by a former client and actually had to pay restitution, or if the brokerage firm or firm you worked for had to pay restitution. It talks about if you've had any kind of bankruptcies or personal financial uh, issues that is also reported in the U4 on broker check, or if you've had any misdemeanor or felony charges. And, I mean, I know for a fact, just from doing my own research, that we have an insurance salesman here in town that avoided a potential 10 years in prison on a drug felony charge (laughs) because of a legal search and seizure. I found this on broker check. I found this on broker check. I found a gentleman here in town, a prospective client, was getting ready to hand over over a million dollars of his hard work, his life savings, and this financial professional had filed bankruptcy three separate times. Now, I understand people run into financial difficulties. You know, I'm not making light of that. But if you've run into a situation where you've had to file bankruptcy multiple times and you can't keep your own financial house in order... I, as a prospective client, I would be a little nervous turning over my life savings to someone who is a financial professional who can't keep their own financial house in order.
3: There's just no reason for people to do this when this is available to them. That's
2: right. And, and, and again, you're going to go and, and look up financial professionals that have a very clean record. But it's also going to show you what licensing they have. Going back to this, that if they have a Series 7, that their compensation can come in the form of commissions. So, again, knowing that they're on the financial sales side of the business. Um, For us at Davidson Capital Management, having our Series 65 as a registered representative of a registered investment advisory firm, we follow the
3: fiduciary standard that we have to follow as an RIA. I haven't seen numbers. I know once upon a time I think we quoted there's 15,000 of us and there's over 300,000 of them. Closer to 400,000. Registered investment
2: advisors is a very small minority in the financial service industry, so you're more often than not going to run into a traditional stockbroker than you are a registered investment advisor. Now, I, I want to just kind of give this blanket disclosure. You know, we're not using this hour to beat up on brokers. There are a lot of good, hardworking brokers. In fact, one of my friends is a broker that that are, do right by their client, that do a good job, but you have to understand as an investor what type of an investor you are. If you're the type of an investor that likes to call the shots of what's bought and what's sold in your portfolio. And when that occurs, you're best suited to work with a stockbroker. That's really what they're there for. You can ask them questions. They can give you some advice and guidance. You can bounce investment ideas off of them. They can give you their personal opinion, and they can process the trades for you. If you're the type of investor that doesn't want to have that control that wants to turn over the decision making on a day to day basis to the investment professional then you're best suited to work with a registered investment advisor like a Davidson Capital Management and you have to understand the brokerage industry over the last 15 plus years because of the pressure they've been feeling from registered investment advisory firms like us have developed programs to give you that active asset management from either themselves at the brokerage firm or an outside money management firm that they partner with. But you have to understand that your broker is not the person that is making those day-to-day decisions. Your broker is nothing more than the middleman of that transaction. They're getting paid a fee to steer your money to an outside asset manager or to the home office to an asset management group that you will have no relationship with, they won't know you from Adam, and you're paying an extra layer of fees on top to have your broker being nothing more than a mouthpiece in this transaction where instead of working directly with a registered investment advisor like a Davidson Capital Management, you eliminate that extra layer of fees. You go directly to the source and you have that personal relationship with that investment professional who's making those day to day decisions with your assets. You can look at them in the white of their eyes when you're working directly with a registered investment advisor. So you have to utilize the tools that are available to you. You have to understand those critical differences between a broker and a registered investment advisor and the differences between what is suitable, what brokers follow and what registered investment advisors follow as a fiduciary and following that fiduciary standard. And if any of our listeners want more education, do not hesitate to pick up the phone and give us a call at Davidson Capital Management at 906-0070 or toll-free at one 800 275 and with that, we'd like to thank everyone for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program. From my father, John, this is Kyle Davidson saying have a fantastic weekend. And to your financial health, we will talk to you next week.